Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This episode is being recorded in beautiful concrete and glass Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Tyson's Corner is in northern Virginia. If you're looking at a map of Washington, D.C., and you see that beltway, 495, that goes all the way around the city, Tyson's Corner is at about that 9 or 8 o'clock position, and it is a very, very busy place. It is, in fact, the polar opposite of where I was earlier in the week and where I was last week where I recorded outside of Charlottesville where things are very uh, rural and uh, there's a lot of open space. Here there's not a lot of open space, uh, although this parking lot I'm in is very open right now. So I, I can say that is uh, is a good thing. But uh, why am I recording here in Tyson's besides being here? Well, I'm here because uh, I take classes a couple times a year for education and for work. And also, uh, this is where I got my very first job in fly fishing. So I'm staring at a tower, and I can't read the side of it, but uh, it's definitely not where the Orvis store was that I began to work at uh, back about 23 years ago. Uh, but that's where it was. It's now across the street, completely different store, a little less charm, a little less character, but a lot cleaner than the store that I worked in. And uh, you may have remembered from earlier this year, I did a Fly Shop Stories podcast. And I said, I've got lots of stories to share, and the next time I'm in town, the next podcast will explore more of those stories and some of those thoughts. So that is definitely what we're doing today. Now, something that I mentioned in the last podcast about fly shop stories is that I am not a fly shop guy in that I worked at a fly shop for just a handful of years, and a couple of those were part-time during uh, during school breaks and things like that. So inevitably, you could go to any fly shop and talk to any person behind the counter, and there's a very good chance that you would get better, funnier, more exciting, more tragic stories than I am able to give you. But 
I'm who you got. And so maybe what I can do is give you just a couple of ideas of some of the things to ask that fly shop employee. Like, hey, have you ever had somebody do this? You ever had somebody do that? And they could probably give you some very good stories. But I think my time in, in the fly shop, working in the fly shop, even though it was an Orvis corporate store, was just really, really helpful um, for me to know fly fishing better and know fly fishermen and women better, but also uh, just to come to appreciate those people that are so diligently devoted to the community of fly fishing and the culture of fly fishing, that it's not just about making a buck for most of them. It's doing something that they love doing as much as they can. And there's a lot of people that have to take on a second job. There's a lot of people that try and fail, but uh, the fly shop is a special place. And uh, it's something that I think we should all appreciate if we are fly fishers at all. I'll mention that at the end of the podcast, if I remember, but let's, let's talk about some stories. So One of the things that uh, we would do at the old fly shop was we would sell fly rods. Uh, That was the the most exciting thing, I'd I'd have to say, uh, is is to walk up to that rack of fly rods and pick one up. And I still do that to this day. Like, you know, I need need another fly rod like me to hold in the head. But I'll still go up to the fly rod rack and I will pick one up. And I love the way that we displayed them at that store and actually the the way that almost all, you know, Orvis stores display them. Uh, and a lot of the fly shops do, which is it's on that rack where they are silhouetted against the uh, a wall or against a, a backdrop drop, as opposed to kind of floating out on a rack on a little uh, circular thing out in the middle of the floor. Um, because you can see the rod. It, it's lit well. You can, you can tell the difference between rod and rod. And uh, so you had a lot of people that would come up and grab them and then wave them around. They'd whack stuff. Uh, they'd whack the ceiling. They'd whack the walls. They'd whack their fly rods. They'd whack them hard enough that they'd pop out of the little clips that held them in position so that they were lined up with a little information tag beneath them. And, you know, everybody really takes care of their own fly rod. But when they've got the store's fly rod in their hand, they're whipping that uh, seven, eight hundred, $900 thing around. They're whacking other ones. Uh, there's not a whole lot of apologies going around under normal circumstances. But we'd also get people who uh, had that idea. And, you know, I'm sure we've all had this in, in one degree or another, where if I just spend more on a fly rod, I will be a much better caster. So if I am a $200 caster, if I spend $400, then I'm going to be a $600 caster. Uh, so all I got to do is keep spending money and my pinpoint dry fly casts will be right where I need them to be. I'll be able to drop out that 80 or 90 foot cast on the flats to the bonefish or the permit. And so you'd get folks coming in and that was their mentality. And so uh, wisely, they didn't just go up and buy a fly rod. Um, and, and I would say that something I did, and I've had a number of other people in, in that I've come into contact with that have the same, uh, uh, mentality when it comes to selling a fly rod, which is, I want to get that person out and casting it because my commission or my salesmanship or whatever it might be, that's inconsequential. If you buy a rod and then you just bring it back, uh, we want to put you in the right rod. I want to be put in the right rod myself. So folks would come up and they would say, well, I want to, I want to cast this rod, but they have this mentality that the thousand dollar rod is going to be the, 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 prime rod. But of course they don't they they do acknowledge that just dropping like 2500 bucks in the bamboo rod isn't necessarily going to do that. So there is an awareness that it's not all about the dollar amount. But within graphite rods, I think there's this idea. The top of the line wants to make a better caster. All right. So we get get them get their rod. Then we get them all spooled up. Um and you know there's the reels with a couple different lines on them. The better shops have different lines. You might say well, what kind of fishing are we doing? Uh, that way you can 
try to make that entire casting experience as close to what they're going to be doing out in the real world as possible. But you get them spooled up. We would have, we had a parking lot, so it was really nice for those fly lines to be dragged across the asphalt. But again, they're just practice casting lines. And we go out there, and I don't know how many times I had to duck for cover uh, of people who are doing their practice casting, which is fine. Everyone, you know, is is entitled to be at any different stage in fly casting uh, that that they are in. But when you have this mentality that the top of the line $900 fly rod is going to be the one that makes you the the casting instructor caliber uh, fly caster, then uh, there's going to be a very quick level of disappointment when you're out there uh, in the parking lot and you're not getting a very good cast. So uh, I saw a couple different things. Uh, one of them would be uh, the question, are you sure this is the rod that I wanted? As if I had switched out the top of the line for the bottom of the line rod, because that would really benefit me as a, as a salesperson. I'd get that question. This, are you sure this is the right one? <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's the right one. Uh, secondly, uh, I, I'd get the uh, the accusation of, is this the right fly line? And you show them that, you know, these are the, the demo reels, big old piece of tape on it showing you what, what fly line's on the reel. Uh, the next one is uh, you, you'd be told to be quiet as they did not a 10 to 2, uh, but kind of like an 8 to 2 motion or no, 8 to 4. So uh, almost a full semicircle. Um, so that that again, you don't really do good casting instruction conversation on a podcast. But I would get that a lot where it was like rod tip to the ground, rod tip to the ground, back and forth. And so uh, I, there's no way to spend yourself out of that problem. But I saw that a lot. Uh, what you could generate with some of those high-end rods, and especially as the uh, the trend in the manufacturers, it, that part of, of fly fishing history was faster and faster, faster rods, is you could see some people generate some sonic sounds by snapping that, the, that fly line at an incredible rate on both a forward and back cast, uh, and, and trying then to gently offer some encouragement uh, wasn't always taken taken well. But I saw a lot of that. A lot of really bad casting with really expensive fly rods. Um, and uh, again, sometimes it involved me having to duck for cover because it was, it was kind of dangerous. So there's a lot of bad casting. So uh, don't hesitate to take encouragement or take a little bit of correction from the employee at the fly shop. I mean, even if they're not an expert, they probably know enough where if they're watching you, then they might say, hey, try this, try that. Uh, don't never be too big for that. We all have room for improvement. Uh, the best fly casters I know are in the constant state of honing their art, honing their craft. And so I would say for you and me, uh, we need to be in that same sort of mindset that uh, we, we have places and areas in which we can learn how to be a better fly caster. So have some humility when you go into the fly shop. Um, they're employees, but they're employees that probably know what they're doing. Don't have the attitude that you are the big time angler. You might be, but more often than not, uh, people who really have arrived and uh, are, are quality casters and anglers are some of the most humble and are willing to listen to the person who is on the ground in that particular situation. People who think they've got it all figured out, those are the ones you got to watch out for, both in just being around, but also being around if they are casting a fly rod that costs close to $1,000 and they're making fly line move very, very fast in a very erratic manner. So bad fly casters, right? Which again, that's fine. You can be a bad fly caster, just 
be uh, willing to take uh, correction. Secondly, bad dogs. So uh, I'm not sure what it is. I'm I'm I don't mind dogs. I I wouldn't mind getting a dog, especially after I've retrieved my own ducks for a few seasons now. Getting a dog is much more uh, on my radar than it used to be. Uh, but I don't mind dogs. I think they're fine. I don't know what it is about outdoor stores where people think like this is where I should bring my dog. Uh, whether it be uh, L.L. Bean or Bass Pro or Cabela's or Orvis or the Fly Shop. Um, no one says, hey, it's Target. I'm going to bring my dog. Hey, it's Walmart. I'm going to bring my dog. Hey, it's the nail salon. I'm going to bring my dog. No one says those things unless you need it for some sort of uh, you know, uh, uh, cognitive or physical limitation that you have, right? Uh, but people bring their dogs to the fly shop. Maybe it's because there's sometimes dogs at the fly shop. Uh, but if I have a dog at my house, I don't think you necessarily bring your dog to my house, even if I had a dog. But uh, more often than not, it was okay. You'd just say, oh, someone brought a dog. All right. And so you have some dog treats and you give the dogs treats and it makes people happy. Everyone, Everyone's happy, right? Uh, but sometimes there's bad dogs um, because there were dog toys and the dogs would show which toys they liked. But, you know, it's one thing if you're trying on a sweater, you try on the sweater. And as long as you are in a semi-decent state of grooming, all the store has to do is refold the sweater and put it back on the rack. Uh, but if a dog toy gets chewed on, now that dog toy has to go in the very back of the rack of dog toys because it has bite marks on it. Um, or even worse, we had these birds, right? At, uh, when I worked at Orvis with these birds, and they were these great little stuffed birds. They were expensive because inside of each little stuffed bird, there was a noisemaker. And the noise was a reproduction, I think from Audubon, of that, that bird sound. And they were next to the dog toys, and they looked like dog toys. And I remember one time, uh, a dog got a hold of something. I don't know if it was a bluebird or a uh, like a, a little robin or something like that. And it chewed the thing up, and it broke the little sound machine inside of it. So now this thing was tweeting incessantly, and uh, the owner was just standing there as the dog chewed on this. And I'm standing back because I there's there's a senior employee in front of me. And uh, she is doing her best to get this dog toy out of this dog's mouth while the, the, the dog owner is talking to somebody else. And uh, he's completely uh, oblivious to what's happening. The woman trying to get the dog toy, the, the toy away from the dog is getting more and more frustrated. And this thing is just being uh, chewed to shreds. Um, so we had that happen. We had dogs that bumped into uh, fly rods. Uh, we had dogs that hopped up on the uh, racks of clothing with their paws up there and on the fly table where there's all these flies. And uh, one time I, I remember distinctly that it flipped the flies over. I think I talked about last time about how people with sweaters like leaning up against the fly tables and just having them all over their arms afterwards. This was like that only with a dog. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, my, my manager at the time, he he was like customers always right. And then it hit a point and he was like customer and get out of here. And I think that was one of those situations where he said, your dog is a bad dog. Uh, you need to leave and you're a bad dog owner. Uh, but I wouldn't say those things. I'd think those things. And I thought those things. But uh, we, we had bad dogs in the store. I don't remember any of them using the floor to defecate or urinate, but uh, wouldn't surprise me. So before I share another story, I do want to share something that you be buying uh, right now, uh, and you can save 20% and get free shipping if you use the code CASTING. So you go to manscaped.com and use the code CASTING, and uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping. 
So the product that I want to mention is something I mentioned before, and it is called the Weed Whacker. The Weed Whacker is a nose and ear hair trimmer, and it is going to take care of things that you don't think you need to take care of. Let's be honest for a minute. When was the last time you looked up your nose in the mirror? When was the last time you looked at your ear in the mirror? That is almost physically impossible, and you have to be very, very deliberate if you want to do that. But there's a good chance that if you're a man and you are over the age of 35, that this is something that you should be asking those closest to you to help you with. Let me know when things start getting wild and woolly in places where they shouldn't be, especially in places that aren't covered by normal clothing. I don't know, like your nose or your ears. Um, and there's a chance that you don't have anybody that close to you that could do that because you are out of control and it looks like uh, some sort of uh, creature from Lord of the Rings. So here's what you do. Go to manscaped.com. Get yourself the Weed Whacker. This is an easy, simple, ergonomic uh tangle-free nose and ear hair trimmer, and uh, then you can take care of everything that you need to take care of. So again, go to manscaped.com, use the code CASTING, C-A-S-T-I-N-G, at checkout, and you can get 20% off and free shipping. Again, uh, use the code CASTING at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. More fly shop stories. So this is one that I actually had kind of mixed feelings about, but I, I ended up... Uh, uh, learning a few things about uh, about the industry when when this happened. So uh, there was a day where I think I opened the store. I was closing the store, but it was only me and a couple of other workers that were in there. And a guy came in and he was acting really shady, but really friendly. I don't know if you know the type, like uh, kind of like looking around, being a little bit shifty, but really open and outgoing and smiley and all that. And uh, he he went back to the fly rods, as we said, you know, a lot of us are gravitate towards the fly rods. And he had like uh, a measuring tape and he had calipers and he was going through and he was measuring uh, the handles, the grips. He was measuring the distance between the guides. He was using his calipers to see the thickness of the grips. Uh, he was uh, breaking down the rods and he was he was measuring the 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 the, the feral length from from you know each seg segment and things like that. And uh, I just asked him, he's like, oh, I'm just curious. I'm just trying to get some specs on some of these rods. You know, there's things that are in the catalogs, which is true. Uh, there's things that are in the catalogs. And I guess if you are really, you know, invested in, in, in what fly rides you have, then that's going to be something that you want to know. Well, my manager was in the back and he came out and he saw this guy and he gave him a, you, get out of here. Take your, take your stuff and get out of here. Thinking, what in the world is going on? And the guy is like, "Hey, man, I'm just, I'm, just, I, you know, there's no rules to say you can't do this." And he says, "I'm the manager. I'm, I'm saying you can't do this." And they're arguing. They're going back and forth. And my manager's getting red in the face, and and the other guy is is trying is remaining cool, but you know, obviously arguing more than he should. And uh, he ends up uh, kind of leaving and huff, slamming the door. My manager just, as I ask him, you know, what's going on? He's like, he, he, didn't, he didn't even answer me. He's just so irate. So the next day, uh, I talked to one of the guys that, that I worked with who wasn't there the night before. I said, hey, some guy came in and so-and-so really laid into him for measuring rods. He's like, oh, that's this guy. He's a local rod builder. And he, he came in one time and he asked if he could measure things because he wants to make rods that are like Orvis rods. And the manager 
completely flipped his lid and said, no, that's stealing. This is proprietary and all this sort of stuff. And uh, and he went off on him and he's come in multiple times to to try to measure the routes. At this point in time, this was the only overstore around. I mean, I think you had to drive. I don't even know where. I think there's one outside of Philadelphia at that point in time. Uh, now there's they're all over the place, but this is the only one around. So the only one you could touch uh, Orvis rods uh, in, in the area was, was at our store. And so he came in and he wanted to measure because he wanted to replicate uh, everything. And I think probably measuring like the ferrule length uh, in the segments was to try to see if he could find rods at some of these, um, you know, rod component uh, builders where he could see if he could find maybe if a rod was being manufactured the same specs, uh, uh, you know, overseas or whatever uh, as to what they were making in, in Vermont. And anyway, all that to say, I kind of got mixed feelings about it. Um, he he was told not to do it by the folks that ran the store. So you got to abide by that. At the same time, I don't know if I would necessarily care if one guy who has been making rods out of his basement uh, and he was attempting to match and replicate what one of, if not the largest, uh, you know, fly rod manufacturer in the country is doing is really going to be that much of a problem. And here we are today where all of those specs are available online. It's not that more people are building their rods. It's just that it's easy enough to put out there. And once one manufacturer puts all those specs online or there's ways to get that information, then everybody's going to follow suit because you don't want to seem like you're not doing what everybody else is doing. But I just remember uh, a very angry interaction as somebody was holding calipers in a fly shop. And it's probably the only time I'm ever going to experience that situation in my life. And you may never experience that. And so I'm sorry that you don't get to, but I had to endure it for you. Um, anyway, lots more uh, funny things, lots more uh, interactions. And inevitably, I will add another episode where I talk about uh, fly shop experiences. And I just want to reiterate, uh, my experiences are the uh, little tiny uh, pamphlet uh, whereas there are are men and women who have been in this industry for decades longer than I've been alive and have volume after volume of uh, funny and sad and infuriating stories of things that have happened in fly shops. So I would say go ahead and look them up. Uh, have that conversation. Uh, and, and hopefully your fly shop proprietor is not a grumpy individual. There's a couple of those out there. And it's probably because uh, it's not an easy way to make a living. But uh, hopefully if you get to know them and they get to know you, then they'll open up and share some of these things. And hopefully they are not having conversations about you because you've done dumb stuff like some of the people that I have talked about today. But stop in a fly shop, spend money at a fly shop. Um, you know, don't don't uh, do all your research online or do, excuse me, don't do all your research in the fly shop, but then just turn around and buy something online. I understand there's a big sale that you might want to take advantage of it, but at least go and buy some flies, buy a, a shirt, buy something. Um, but if at all possible, you know, give give fly shops your business because they are an important part of not just the culture of fly fishing, but also getting to the quarry. Uh, you, you get a lot more when you buy something in a fly shop and have a conversation, legitimate conversation. You know, ask questions. Don't say, oh, they didn't, they didn't offer me any information. If you didn't ask for any information, people aren't going to say, hey, here's the flies that are working just because you're checking out with a, a bottle of float. Have that conversation. And uh, I think that you will be very, very happy uh, with the results if you begin to form relationships with your local fly shop. This week on castingacross.com, as always, two articles. Uh, the first one is called Not Safely Wild. Not Safely Wild. And uh, this was talking about being in a national park, uh, being in a very uh, curated and comfortable and uh, well-maintained place, 
but having to appreciate that we are always on the precipice of it being not safe. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I was up in the Shenandoahs. I was doing some running up there and a lot of, if it was closed down because of some bad storms that came through, like uh, came through a lot of the other part of the, the mid Atlantic and even the Midwest over the last few weeks. But, uh, there was a man who was, went missing and they just found his, his body, uh, this morning. And, you know, it's been 65 degrees and it was in the 60s before this bad weather came in. Uh, but we have to remember that these places are national parks and national historic sites and uh, forests for a reason. Uh, they're wild. And so even if there are entrance stations and even if there's lots of signs and even if there's a lot of, you know, ways to keep you on the straight and narrow, uh, you're probably able to go other places and uh, get yourself into trouble. And so just that's what uh, this article, Not Safely Wild, is about. Next article was called Rusty Flybox Hollers and Skylines. Hollers and Skylines. So uh, the, again, this is a, a article with links to three articles about uh, Virginia, particularly in the Shenandoah uh, Valley region. And uh, again, it's this place that's special to me. I say in the article that although I'm from the Midwest, Virginia is home. Uh, I've had more uh, significant influential experiences in, in Virginia, probably than anywhere else. Uh, and, and really has, was a formative uh, place for me, both as an outdoorsman and also as a man. So, uh, that, that is why I continue to come back here and that is why I continue to write about it. And so here's three articles about, uh, some places that have been special to me. This week's recommendation on the podcast is another pair of sunglasses from the good people at Costa Del Mar. So I've got a handful of pair of Costas. I think they're the best glasses I've ever worn. No, I know they're the best glasses I've ever worn, and I think they're the best glasses out there. Um, and as I've talked about before, just like you have lots of different fly rods, you should have lots of different pair of glasses uh, based on the situation that you are in. My most recent acquisition and my most uh, recently... Uh, most worn, if that makes sense. The one I've been wearing the most lately is called the Lido. Lido is Italian for beach, I think. Anyway, um, it's also a song, classic rock song. Um, anyway, uh, so the Lido is a large frame and they are kind of that contemporary style that is a rehash of a style that was popular in the 80s. So something that you can think of is like the late 80s, early 90s, neon, just big frame glasses. Uh, that's kind of the Lido's profile, although it has all those features of really what's in the pro series of uh, Costa's uh, most uh, recent sunglasses. So again, uh, first and foremost, uh, top quality glass. It is incredibly light and is incredibly clear. And that's the reason why I continue to go back to Costa. Uh, it has movable nose pads. It has channels that run along the um, arms to move uh, sweat away from your face. They are very lightweight. Uh, everyone always says, oh, glass lenses can be so heavy. I, I can't even tell when they are on my face. But uh, they are a larger uh, glasses. So they may fit your face, but it's also in style now to have really, really big sunglasses. But these are awesome. I love how I get full coverage from them um, and I can look, you know, all over the place. I'm not getting that ambient light coming in the sides. I got their um, 
it's a camo color. It's a, it's like a water camo color. And so it's kind of like a, in, you know, tortoiseshell is usually browns and tans. This is kind of like a dark browns and greens. Uh, very subtle, just looks kind of uh, neutral from a distance. Absolutely love them. Uh, and I would encourage you to check them out and try them on the next time you're at a place that sells Costas. So I'll put a link to the particular uh, uh, model, the Lido, in this podcast's show notes over on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.